0: Well, good morning, if you'd remain standing. Just thought I'd throw that curveball right in the midst of the process of sitting down. I do want to welcome you to the honorary nine o'clock service on time change weekend. Um, and some of you, I wouldn't even ask you to admit out loud if you thought you were coming to the 9 o'clock and all of a sudden, wow. Uh, But it really is a delight to have you and loved hearing that update from Nathan and Marty. And uh, actually I asked Nathan, I said, do you think, do you think I could get a beard going like your beard? (laughs) And he said, that would be so awesome. Then you'd look like a Viking. No, I wouldn't because I couldn't pull off the red pants. It's just, it'd be like a matchstick with the red on both ends, you know, and it just wouldn't work. So before we dive into the word, let's acknowledge that we're in the presence of a king, that's why we're standing, who summoned us. He summoned us here to not tutor us in religiosity. He summoned us here to speak life into us. So let's submit the form. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for each person in this auditorium, each person online. And thank you for your summons. It starts with you summoning us from death to life. And then once we're alive on a daily basis, you calling us. To a deeper and deeper experience of that life to your glory. We're not here in a religious vacuum. We're here in the midst of our lives. We're here with our, our aches, our doubts, our delights, our griefs, our smiles all in tow. It's, some of us are in the, on the top of the pile, some of us are underneath it. We've got vocational stuff happening, you know, in our, at, at, at jobs, or maybe we don't have a job. Maybe it's stuff at, at home or other relationships. It's Maybe it's right at the beginning of a vacation, or maybe it's in the midst of wishing we had a vacation. Maybe it's some financial challenges or news from a doctor or impending news from a doctor. All of that's here, and you do not require of us to leave that outside, put it aside. You, you want us to lift it up to you and allow you to speak into it. And I, 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 in their presence, I want to ask that you enable me to listen well with my friends in these places. Unless what I say is rooted in your word and enabled by you, Holy Spirit, we're going to be wasting our time. And I'm thankful that's not going to happen because your word is truth. Your spirit is here and we're asking you to shape us in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. You can have a seat. So let's start with a little shopping trip, shall we? Anybody anybody wanna go car shopping? I mean, no money's required. You can just have whichever one of these cars you want. I'm gonna give you some choices and you decide. Let me give you the first one. Uh, There's car A that's a 2017 Chevy Tahoe, or you could have car B, which is a 2004 Toyota 4Runner. Who would like car A? Okay, who would like car B? Yeah, these are the off-road people right here. All right, it's pretty good, let's, let's do another. Car selection. Here's your choices. Here are your choices. Choice A is a 1988 Ford Thunderbird, and choice B is a 2006 Ford GT. Who would like car B? (laughs) Who would like car A? Yeah, see there's some Mark Cone fans out there, even though it's not the same year of the Thunderbird that his dad would would drive. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a song, whatever. So uh, here's the third choice. Car A is a 2016 Ferrari 488 GTB. Car B is a 2003 Honda Civic. Who would like car A? (laughs) Who would like car B? There's some, either love Honda or you just got a sympathetic streak, uh, one of those two. Here's another one. Car A is a 1982 Chrysler K car. Car B is a 2016 Aston Martin 177. Who, hey, let me hear the fans out there for car A. Oh, yeah, whatever. Okay, how about car B? Uh-huh, uh-huh yeah. I know these are getting difficult. This is a really difficult one. Here we go, here's the last one. Car A is a 2016 Lamborghini. Car B is a 1985 Ford Fiesta. Who's Car A? Uh, I don't even need to ask. Uh, any car? Any car B? You're just being. You're just being difficult. Okay, I wasn't. Fully honest with you here, I need to leave this slide up and give you one more point of clarification. That Ford Fiesta has an engine that was just tuned and it's running perfectly. It's running a lot better than that bumper uh, is functioning. And that 2016 Lamborghini, it actually doesn't have an engine. It's a nice show car. So let me ask you again to consider which car you would want, and let me tell you the situation. A good friend of yours has been injured, and you're out in the middle of nowhere. 30 minutes from the nearest hospital, and they're losing blood fast. Which car would you want? We don't wanna go sit in the Lamborghini and watch tragedy occur before our eyes. We want to get into that little Ford Fiesta. And the reason we're choosing the Ford Fiesta is, yes, because it has an engine, but more specifically, we get that Ford Fiesta because the whole point of a car, actually, that we've forgotten about in our country is to get somebody from point A to point B. And the reason we want that Fiesta is because it, listen, it is equipped, no matter what it looks like on the outside, that Ford Fiesta is equipped to fulfill the original purpose that it was made for. And that's to get somebody from point A to point B, especially in an emergency, but at any time. Now, let's shift that metaphor. And let me tell you, I'm looking at a bunch of vehicles. There are some Lamborghinis here, and some Ford Fiestas, and Thunderbirds, and Tahos, and Forerunners. I mean, we've got similarities as people. But we've got a lot of differences. Some of us have a lot of accessories in our life. A lot of decoration, new paint job. And we spend our lives working on our accessories. We spend our lives working on degrees and bank account balances and the type of friends we keep and the types of addresses that are on our driver's license and the boats that are in at the lake and the memberships at the clubs and the vacations and so yes all the accessories vary amidst all of these cars but here's the deal some of us have an engine and some of us don't Some of us are equipped, some of us, not just in this auditorium, but all over the world. Some of us are equipped with that which will enable us to fulfill the original purpose that we're made for, and some of us are not. It's an engine. And in biblical terms, that engine is the Holy Spirit. Long ago, Adam and Eve said, God, we don't need you to fulfill the original purpose that we're made for to be fulfilled. And there was a rebellion that occurred. The enemy had warped what God said. God says, if you disobey me, I'm telling you, this is how you will best operate. It's like an owner's manual to a car. He said, make sure you take this path of life. Don't rebel. The enemy comes along and says, God's lying. He says, if you don't take that path of life, you'll surely die. He says, you shall not surely die. They rebelled and they died. Oh, their hearts kept beating and their lungs kept breathing, but they lost that, that ultimate quality about us as human beings, as his images that enable us to do what we're originally wired to do. I refer to it as life with a capital L. They lost that life that only the Holy Spirit can, can give, that only God can provide. Essentially and ultimately, the Holy Spirit left them. So they were a shell. Did they look any different on the outside? doubt it just like if you and i were driving down a neighborhood and looking at all the cars in the driveway, driveway we have no idea which ones have an engine and which ones don't as you and i navigate in our lives we, we can't tell just looking at somebody on the outside who's got the holy spirit and who doesn't But you spend enough time with somebody over a while and you start seeing them pull out of the driveway. You see, only a follower of Jesus can actually pull out of the driveway and start doing what they're made to do. And that is live to the glory of God, which will be the most fulfilling thing for them. That's why at the epicenter of this whole notion of what Jesus Christ came to do was to accomplish a work of redemption so that we can be forgiven. But the Holy Spirit can't reside in that which is unclean. This is uh, the, the spirit of the living and holy God, and that's why he departed. Is the Holy Spirit with us, yes, but not in us, until we come back to Christ. And so in John chapter 3, Jesus explains, he says, very truly I tell you, verse 5 of John 3, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit this is what gives birth to our spirits. The Spirit is the one who, who creates something within us. You, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Notice what he's saying about the Holy Spirit. Can we see him? No, but we can see his effects. He compares it to the wind. Can I look at a car, the car of a human being, and say, uh, uh, do they have an engine? Just like if I'm looking at a car. I don't really know. Those cars in driveways that I pass by, I don't know if they have an engine or not. How am I going to be able to tell if they have an engine? They pull out of the driveway. How can someone tell Jesus is saying if the Spirit of God is within them, they pull out of the driveway. They start living to the glory of God. And that changes the way that we eat, we drink, we dance, we grieve, we party, we vacation, we stand for justice. Every nook and cranny of our lives. And it all starts with the engine well. Our heart, our soul being occupied once again by the Spirit of God. Paul makes it real clear. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives where? In you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I can keep going to church, I can keep doing all sorts of religious things, but the ultimate determiner of whether I'm a follower of Jesus is the Holy Spirit taking up residence in my life. But if Christ is where, is in you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of the sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. In fact, in John 6, Jesus says, it's the Spirit who gives us life. Oh yeah, our hearts are beating, our lungs breathing, but if we want to truly live in a capital L way, the Holy Spirit is who's going to enable us to do that. Well, how, how, how can I get the Holy Spirit into my life? Huh? That's what the gospel is about. It's about me trusting in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. And as a result, I'm made ready for the Holy Spirit to take up residence in my life at the moment i come to christ the moment i trust him as my lord and savior i'm born again the holy spirit takes up residence in my life and i'm now alive but that doesn't guarantee that i'm going to pull out of the driveway and live a life to the glory of god and usually i mean with me i'm, I'm pulling out and going a few miles and coming back in Pulling out, and, and I'm taking longer and longer trips the more I grow in my relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is there, and He's there permanently. But I can grieve Him, or I can submit to Him. I can be led by Him. And it has to do with me taking steps of obedience It's the equivalent of pressing that gas pedal and saying, He's calling me to take this trip for His glory. He's calling me to do this, to love in this way to recreate in this way, to work in this way, to share in this way, to live in my culture in this way. I don't know that I've got the strength, but I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to hit the gas pedal and trust him to give me the strength. So that's why when we were talking about the kingdom coming, the kingdom's not a place, it's a, the realm in which Jesus rules. And when Adam and Eve sinned, and we follow that up with a vote of our behavior, we say, God, we don't want you ruling, we'll rule ourselves. And as a result, the kingdom, are, are the blessings of the kingdom leave us. So when the kingdom, we're praying that the kingdom would come, we're praying that Christ's rule would once again come in our lives. And we're equipped with several things. Last week we talked about being equipped with the gospel. This week we're talking about being equipped with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus, in his, that Thursday night before he gave his life in, in, in crucifixion on Friday, that Thursday night, with his disciples in the upstairs room, had what has become known as the upper room discourse. He delivered teaching that was of ultimate paramount importance now they didn't know it was his last night with him before the crucifixion but they put it together later and in john 13 john 14 john 15 john 16 is this popularly known as the upper room discourse where jesus is saying these are of these are principles and truths that are of ultimate uh, importance and over and over he kept talking about the spirit Because God's summoning the cosmos back to life on the front row of that renewal and that restoration are human beings. All of us are created in his image, but we're not all alive. We're not all equipped. Until the Holy Spirit once again takes up residence. Until the engine once again is put underneath our hood. And in John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, guys, I want you to know this. I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He's referring to the Holy Spirit there advocate, counselor, paraclete, these are all English translations of a beautiful term that Jesus is using, referring to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He says, this advocate, the Holy Spirit, is going to help you and be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So our tendency as being part of the world is to sit in the driveway and say, you know what? The goal of life is to just decorate more, to get more accessories, to get more coats of paint. And we compare our accessories, our coats of paint. And the truth of the matter is, men might look at the outward appearance, might look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks under the hood. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. Now remember, this is before Pentecost when the the Spirit comes and starts redeeming humanity and inhabiting humanity once again. The Spirit would, uh, would come upon people through the Old Testament, but since Adam until Jesus, Jesus was the first human being, fully God, fully man, to walk on this planet inhabited completely by the Holy Spirit because he's God. But he was enabling us to follow in his footsteps. And he says, for he lives with you, the end of verse 17, and will be where? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm gonna come, I'm, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. And he's saying, it's because I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to bring you to life. Now, next passage is John 16, verse 5, where you'll be in your groups for this week. And it was read earlier, so I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read verses 5 through verse 11 here. He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where you're going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Now, they're thinking, oh, no. And he's saying, oh, yes, this is part of the plan. I'm going to pay the penalty for your rebelliousness. I'm going to pay that infinite debt so that you once again can be habitable by the holy God through my spirit. It's for you good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin sin. And righteousness and judgment. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Now in each of the next three verses, he he digs a little deeper. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He says, I'm going to come to you. My spirit's going to come to you. He's going to occupy your engine well. And let me tell you a little bit about his role. And this is not all of the Holy Spirit's role. I mean, We're told the Holy Spirit strengthens us. He's the one that he glorifies Jesus always. But here Jesus specifies three roles that the Holy Spirit's going to play in our lives, all under the umbrella of convicting us. So let me give you the overview of where we're going, and then I'll come back and dig a little bit deeper in each one of these. What he's saying is, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to equip, equip you with the Holy Spirit, and his role is going to be to convict you regarding, first of all, uh, your fulfillment. Uh, he convicts us. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us regarding our fulfillment. What will fulfill us? And the Holy Spirit basically is saying, his role is to say, let me remind you of something, Jesus is life, not sin. He's going to convict us regarding our identity. How do you, how do you define who you are? How do I? Usually we define it in terms of what we're doing and how we behave and uh, our identity is wrapped. I mean, you you ask people, who are you? And most often we'll we'll say whatever our vocation is. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, let me remind you of something. Your identity before God, it's not dependent on on your behavior and your, quote, self-righteousness. Jesus is the way, not your acts of self-righteousness. Third, he convicts us regarding our discernment it brings up judgment in that path in, in verse 11 and it's the judgment of making having wisdom and the Holy Spirit is saying Jesus is truth not the prince of this world that's been exposed so those, those are the three convicts us regarding our fulfillment regarding our identity regarding our discernment but some of you are maybe hanging up on the word and stuck on that word convict. Uh, the, the NIV also, the New International ver- the New New International Version translations changed that to proving when we're wrong. Um, there are other translations that refer to that Greek word exposing. And it, it, put, it puts us in, a, in a, a kind of a negative frame of mind regarding the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life. Kind of we back away and say, I don't know, that doesn't sound... Very pleasant light. It's like the, the, the guy who was, who was burglarizing a home. Who had scoped out the house, knew their schedule, knew they were gone. All the lights are out. He goes in with his satchels and with his flashlights, And he starts rifling through the house, loading all the loot in kits into the electronics room and about hyperventilates. I mean, it's all this great, you know, the DVD players and some iPods and he's loading all this stuff. And in the midst of doing all this, a voice comes out of the darkness. Jesus is watching you. He turns around, grabs his flashlight, freaks him out because he knew he was alone. He had watched them leave. Doesn't see anybody. Thinks, okay, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe it's the voice of my nun who taught me in third grade that's coming back. And so I'm going to put that aside. So he goes back, loading up his, his loot again, and does it for just a few more seconds, gets some more items in, and then he hears the voice again. Jesus is watching you. Gets a flashlight, turned around that time, right where he, the voice came from, and it's a parent. He said, was that you? The parrot says, yes, I was just warning you. Burglar said, warning me? What are you talking about? Who who do you think you are? The parrot said, Moses. Burglar said, Moses. You You mean your name is Moses? Yes. The burglar said, Kind of stupid people would name their parrot Moses. And the parrot said, the same kind of stupid people that would name their Rottweiler Jesus. And Jesus is watching you. And we sometimes, when we, you see that word convict, I want you to, let's put that slide back up of the, of the map, the outline. You see the word convict, and you can think Rottweiler, bad stuff. No, no, the, this is a life-giving ministry. Is it pleasant? Not always, but it's meant to lead to life. So let's look at these one at a time. Let's let's take this first one. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Don't think Rottweiler. Think somebody who's leading us to life. And he wants to convict us, expose our our, our tendency to underestimate and be wrong about what will fulfill us. Go back to the text. Look at verse 9. He says, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world about sin. But he immediately connects it with because people do not believe in me. We think we, want, we know what will fulfill us. I think I've mentioned to you before, Jim Carrey, he's a theologian. You might've seen him in some movies as well. But um, <laughs> he one time said in an interview, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of doing so they'd realize that's not the answer. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, said, given the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're like half-carded creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He says, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. We we don't understand this, what will fulfill us. And the Holy Spirit leads us back to what really will fulfill us. And in in verse 9 there, you see sin and unbelief. He said, he'll convict us regarding sin because people do not believe in me. Hear, Hear this. Sin, and I kind of want you to visualize this. We're going to help you out a little bit. Sin... Is the opposite of belief. I can't do both at the same time. Romans chapter 14, verse 23, he says, And everything that does not come from faith is sin. What's that referring to? It means that when I sin, I'm trying to go after fulfillment, not believing that God knows what will fulfill me best. I'm thinking I know. So faith and, and belief, they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. All right, let's like, keep going. Or sin and belief are on the op- opposite end of the spectrum. Here we go. Sin leads to death. Belief leads to life. Sin's the opposite of belief. Sin leads to death. Belief leads to life. That's, all of that is wrapped into how the Holy Spirit is working our lives, letting us remember, you know what, trust the Father's design of you. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, sin leads to death, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even for a follower of Jesus, when I sin, I experience the consequences of death. I don't lose my salvation, but I'm not experiencing life, I'm parked in the driveway. Jesus says in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That belief and that life are intimately connected. And when I begin learning to trust on a daily basis, He leads me to this life with the capital. Leads me down a path of fulfillment, and instead of being deceived, the Holy Spirit is saying, "Remember, sin is not going to fulfill you. Jesus is the life." Malcolm Muggeridge was one of the the great journalists and authors and media figures of the 20th century. He's British, born 1903 when he, he was an agnostic, famous for ridiculing the church and the gospel, came to Christ in his 60s. And then when he was 65, he gave a sermon of all places at the Queen's Cross Church in Aberdeen, and he, it made the papers around the world because he began to outline. He says, I think you could qualify that I'm famous. I think you could qualify that, that I'm successful by the world standards. That I know what pleasure is about and I've pursued it much and I have know some degree of vocational impact. Then he said this, quote, yet I say to you and I beg you to believe me. This agnostic journalist says, I beg you to believe me. Multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together and they are nothing, less than nothing. A positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are, whether they're a Fiesta or a Lamborghini, my words, not his, what I ask myself does life hold? What is there in the works of time, in the past now and to come, which could possibly be put in the balance against the refreshment of drinking that water? You know how he was able to say that? The Holy Spirit, who is convicting him regarding his fulfillment and leading him down the path, saying Jesus is life, not sin. Let me mention these other two. Second, Holy Spirit convicts us regarding our identity, saying Jesus is the way to a right relationship with God not your works of righteousness he says there in verse 10 about righteousness because I'm going to the father where you can see me no longer a role that Jesus had you know who who Jesus had in his sights with the most uh, stern words it was the self-righteous crowd the religious crowd, people who thought had such a low view of God and such an elevated, inaccurate view of themselves that they thought they actually could gain acceptance before God by their own behavior. And so Jesus is saying in this text, he's saying, the Holy Spirit's going to keep doing, I'm going to the Father, so now the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting the world, exposing to the world the inadequacy of their own works of righteousness. It's not going to happen. I will not bridge the gap between God and me by my works. Read of a guy who was about five, six years ago, I think, out in Arizona. He was a 62-year-old man who would impersonate cops. He had a Crown Victoria, black one, put lights in it. He'd pull people over, tell them they were going too fast. He had a police uniform. He'd do it at night. You know, people couldn't really tell. He just got his kicks out of that until one night he pulled over a police officer who was uh, a plainclothes police officer. A FEW MONTHS LATER HE WAS IN JAIL. HE WAS PRETENDING TO BE A POLICE OFFICER AND IT WORKED UNTIL HE WAS TRYING TO PRETEND TO BE A POLICE OFFICER WITH A POLICE OFFICER. SOMETIMES WE PRETEND TO BE RIGHTEOUS on our own work, at works, until we start engaging with the one who is righteous. And we see there's an infinite gap there. And you think that's bad news. It's only bad news if we don't embrace the gospel. When we embrace the gospel, we start realizing that God gives us righteousness, a righteousness that's not of our own doing. It's the righteousness of Jesus. He us with Christ's robes of righteousness. Uh, Romans 3:21. he says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So often we are desperately trying to prove our worth, to prove a, the, a, an identity of worth and competency, and we define it by what we're doing. God comes along and says, I've done it for you. You say, That's too good to be true, and that's why it's called the gospel. It's good news religiosity says do, grace says done. God's already done it. You're saying, well, are my works of righteousness important? If it's biblical righteousness, yes, but only in the sense when I'm obeying and doing those works of righteousness in response to the identity I've already received in Jesus. Here's a statement, there's a big difference between pleasing God and earning his favor. And I've mentioned that to you before, I'm sure I'll mention it again. Too often we obey thinking we're doing it to earn God's favor and therefore we can take credit for our own identity in Christ. No. God has given me his favor in Jesus. My role is to please him. Knowing I'm already loved. I obey as a result of being loved. Therefore I'm obeying in order to please the one who's loved me first. The Holy Spirit brings that to mind. He wants, you know, Romans, Paul says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You're adopted, don't act like an orphan, don't act like somebody that's trying to gain their identity by getting God to be impressed by them, but instead, let's re- respond to the love we've already received. Let me give you the third one. Holy Spirit, this is just the beginning of his roles, but it's what Jesus focuses on in this text. He's going to convict us regarding our fulfillment, whispering continually, Jesus is life, not sin. He's going to convict us regarding our identity. Jesus is the way to the Father, not your works of righteousness. Thirdly, he convicts us regarding our discernment. Jesus says that the enemy in verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, The Holy Spirit says, I want to convict you regarding your discernment. Jesus is the truth, not the prince of this world. So Jesus said, the prince of this world has now been condemned. The judgment he's referring to is not the judgment at the end, but making good choices. John 7 24 says stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment that's kind of judgment we're talking about and Jesus the wisdom of Jesus about what is the path of life these are the right choices these are the important choices this is the discernment I need not that path of death Isaiah 11, 2, about the Messiah, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There is a wisdom, there is a discernment about it. I read a study several years ago about a couple of guys from Cornell University on incompetence. And their conclusion was, and they were studying a lot of people, that did not have a high level of competence in something that they were accomplished He said, the vast majority of incompetent people don't know, they're com- they don't know they're incompetent. And what's worse is incompetent people, this study, academic study at Cornell said, incompetent people tend to have more confidence about their ability than competent people. And their conclusion was their incompetence prevents them from seeing that they're incompetent. Man, that's where we're coming from. So often we think we're capable of making wise, good, good choices, but in 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 actuality, we put like when I was a kid, we'd go go into we went to the hardware store back in the sporting goods section, switch the price tags around on some things that we wanted, but we didn't have enough money for. So we put real cheap price tags on some pretty expensive items and got caught. But we do that all the time. We put big price tags on things that the kingdom says is of little value, and we put little price tags on things that God says are of great value, and the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts us regarding discernment. catapults us into making good decisions about what we're doing when we're doing it first corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 where is the wise man where is the scholar where is the philosopher of this age is this not true today maybe more than ever where everyone thinks they are wise in their own eyes Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And so here we are, more affluence than we've ever known, yet more emptiness. And it's the discerning ones that will pick up on that. And that's why I think a great movement of the Spirit of God can come in this generation, what some refer to as millennials, because they are more honest than many generations before them, and they are seeing this juxtaposition of affluence and emptiness and saying emptiness is not the answer, and oh, may we therefore go to the one who can lead us and leave the one who is a liar, the prince of this world. But it's not just the Holy Spirit working in us, He works through us. He's made us alive. He's restored the engine. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Paul says, I have become the gospel servant by the commission God gave men to present to you the word of the God in its fullness And the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. I want you guys to hear this. If you don't remember anything else I've said, remember this next phrase, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, in your engine, gives you and me the hope to do what we're wired to do as human beings. And the power of coming to Christ is not getting a new religious status, but is finally being equipped with an engine that will get me out of the driveway, that will get me on a highway of true fulfillment, of of God-glorifying accurate identity and discernment that leads me to behave in a way in my culture and in my relationships, in my office, in my neighborhood, in a way that will glorify God. You know what your purpose is? What mine is, is the glory of God. you know what equips us? Christ in us now. That is our hope for being his witnesses to his glory and in the process being fulfilled because we're not in the driveway, but we're on the highway. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth that you give us. Thank you for the way that you give us to us graciously, but honestly. And I ask that you would enable us as your people to realize that we are being Jesus in our neighborhoods, and our offices, because you're in us. We're not just mimicking you, you are in us, enabling us to live to the glory of the Father. I pray you'll give us the courage to step on the gas pedal, to exercise faith. By responding in obedience to your life-giving instruction. And as a result, being fulfilled. Having an understanding of our identity as your image, images of God and children of God. And being discerning in the midst of a culture that seems to be very confused because it is. Spirit of truth, thank you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Amen.